Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Idle Australians with James and Asha. Idle Australians with James and Asha. Idle Australians with James and Asha. Let's get the show going, boys. Welcome to the show, James Matheson. I like what you've done with the studio. I don't like talking about this. You are ruining it for everyone. People tune in, they think we're sitting together on the couch and enjoying each other's company when the reality is I am on my bed covered with a doona and a pillow fort. Like, after all these years, I still don't have like, proper equipment or a studio. I am covered with pillows in a, a week old sheet. That's okay because we're making a great podcast that people are enjoying. Uh, we're at episode four uh, after Barry Larkin last week. Thanks very much for all email, all the emails. Idleaustralians at gmail.com is where you can find us. It's a, a podcast that we celebrate the unsung heroes of Australia, Australian history, Australian culture. I know that you've got a doozy for us on this episode, Jimmy. Well, I mean, it came about because we were hanging out with my father. So my kids were over at Nana and Grandpa's place, and one of my kids had a bit of a, a tantrum, a hissy fit, and my dad, her grandpa, says, hey, what's wrong? You're not happy, Jan. And she said, who's Jan? And so I had to explain to her, look, it's an expression, you know. And then I thought, hang on, it's not just an expression, it's an ad. It's an ad that's got to be 20-plus years old, but there must be a whole generation of kids who've heard that expression and have no idea that it comes from this iconic cult Australian commercial for Yellow Pages. Jan? Jan? Where's our ad in the Yellow Pages directory? Keep calm. Count to ten. One, two, three, eight, nine, ten. Not happy! That's still funny. That is still comedy gold. In 30 seconds, they've told such an amazing character arc, the psychotic boss, the underling who is just living in terror for her next freak out and then just, (laughs) just doing what we've all dreamt of doing, like when shit hits the fan at work. Just fucking legging. Just like, fuck this. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm going to get hauled over the coals so severely. I'm losing my job over this anyway. I'm fucking off. I'm out of here. I love it. Those three words, not happy Jan. We've also all been her. We've also been Rhonda. 
We've also, all, which I think is why we ended up saying it because it so perfectly identified and you know personified this feeling that we've all had of like, oh, I want to hold open a window and shout at someone on the street. I'm so fucked off at whatever this thing is, and that's how it just became something that we all just started saying. Mm, I love we got to the point where there's, you know, a generation of people who don't even know that it is from a commercial and which made me think more about it. And I learned this week that to give someone the flick, do you know about this? That That is from a commercial. Oh, for bug spray? For flick, the bug spray. I know, right? Your mind is blown. That is not just like to... To brush someone off, that is from, that's how old that is. And that's what Not Happy Jan has become for another generation. Give someone the flick is from wow. flick, the bug spray. One flick and they're I, gone. So if I lost my job, I got gone. the flick. And you're saying a brand name. Wow. In the cultural consciousness. Amazing. It's like the guy who came up with lolly gobble bliss bombs, you know? <laughs> Imagine if you're that guy. What should we call these? They're like popcorny, but they're sweet and they're exciting in my mouth. Lolly gobble bliss bombs. Take the rest <laughs> of the, the take the rest of the day off, Jonathan. Perfect. Hit the showers, John. You've done it. You've outdone yourself. You've done well, son. So we thought we thought who better to investigate the cultural phenomenon that is sometimes when ads fall into part of our everyday vernacular than one of the guys who was a driving force, a key part of Not Happy Jan itself. Yeah, it's a, he's a TV ad director by the name of, of Paul Middleditch who has made some of the best, most incredible TV commercials that you know Um not Happy Jan, of course, was the, the, the massive one. And then there was this cracker. You remember it. Like just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of portly men marching across a field in the shape of a schooner of beer <laughs> yes in colored robes of course yeah marching towards another bunch of guys in colored robes dressed as a, a man drinking that beer it's very cool hey that ad also I, I think there's a line in it we go this this better sell some bloody beer yeah. <laughs> like it was, a, it was like um, one of the first ads i remember seeing that was self-referential and yeah. the fact that it was like this is an ad and its purpose is to sell shit to you. Yeah. And we're not doing that covertly. We're actually being quite yeah. open and clear about that. It's clearly yeah. very expensive. We really hope it works. <laughs> Paul Middleditch also made all of those really clever lamb ads. So every year, I think it's Meat and Livestock Association is the client. He makes these ads that are so so perfectly crystallized in their, co- their social commentary. But- there's lamb involved. So you kind of like, hang on, I'm having to deal with this complicated thing. At the same time, I like lamb. Uh. He made those really, like the really big kind of sweeping single shot lamb ads, which really looked like they're pushing quite hard into we're here to talk about uh, uh, some very interesting social things that we know we should be talking about, but we're also doing it around lamb 
So he's not afraid to make commentary, uh, social commentary. Paul Middleditch, I'm, uh, welcome to Idol Australians. Uh, Osher Ginsburg, James Matheson. Hey, mate, we wanted to get you on because it's a, the whole podcast, the whole idea is about exploring these untold stories of Australian culture and, and history. And I was visiting my grandparents. I took the kids over and one of them was having a bit of a hissy fit. And my dad, her grandfather, said, oh, what's wrong? Not happy, Jan. Have you ever heard it out in the wild like that? Yeah, I've heard my kids said it one time. And I said, you know what that's from? And they went, yeah, yeah, that's a saying. I said, yeah, it is a saying. And I went, yeah, I made the, I made the ad that they're saying is. And they went, they didn't. Why? He says, well, you, you, it was a long time ago. So, okay. I said, well, it's not like it was made in 1906, you know, like... What was it? Australia had the first ever feature film. It was the Ned Kelly. Yeah, Ned Kelly. Yeah. So I think they were under the impression. They think I'm really old, which I'm not, of course. None of us are. No. And for them, you know, the ad was made in 1999. So I was pretty young when I made it. So while it seems old, it was it was sort of at the beginning of my career. It, yeah, I have heard it. Absolutely, have heard it. I saw it in the paper many years ago that it was used um, in Parliament. I believe, came up in Parliament. I think Not Happy John was what was actually said when Mr Howard was around. And so did they come around? Did they eventually cotton on that you were actually, you know, not that old and you were part of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I could recall certain details that I couldn't be lying about, you know, about it. So I managed to convince them that I did actually do it. But it's an interesting thing. It wasn't long ago, maybe six to eight months ago, when Not Happy Jan, uh, there was a backlash against it and felt that it was an inappropriate commercial because the way that Rhonda, her assistant, was being treated and being bullied, this was in the news and stuff where they wanted to kind of shame the ad. Yeah, try and make a statement about the fact that times have changed and that, that uh, this was not appropriate either for the workplace or between two women working. And this is just in the last year or so, that coming up. The interesting thing in the ad itself, and I think there are a lot of things, as you know now, where they say, well, you couldn't make that now. <laughs> you know I mean? There's a lot of things, and it gets shorter and shorter. It's like if you made something last week, you couldn't make that now. <laughs> because it does. It seems to like, yeah, yeah. and I've made a lot of ads that people say, well, you couldn't make that now. And um, it is interesting, you know, because I think the reason that the ad works so, so well is because it doesn't pull any punches and it goes for it, you know, and we've basically got a psychotic boss who has huge anger issues. And the details, for instance, because when I took on the job, and this job was from Clemens, Melbourne, and this is 1999, and Deborah Kennedy I cast in this ad, and Deborah, I think it's one of the only ads she's ever done, and she's an amazing actress, great theatrical actress as well, in theatre, sorry. And she was just sensational and she was just amazing. There was nobody who could play that role. And then Rhonda, who just had this great, you know, just when she auditioned, she just had fear, total, utter and complete <laughs> fear in her eyes. And half of the reason this ad works is because of Rhonda's terror, ter absolutely unbelievable terror, Jane's terror. So it, it, she played that really beautifully. 
the cast were what was amazing about it and what really made it work because they both went for it. And Deborah played this crazy woman. And if you notice the ad, there's all these crystals on her desk and stuff. She's obviously mm-hmm. had a lot of crystals and things. She's, mm, she's, she's, oh, she breathes through these things and, and so on because she has to deal with it. Not happy, Jan! The last shot of her with her head out the window was an improvisation. I stuck a wedge in the window so she couldn't open it. And so she was really angry. And I said to Deborah, I said, I said, do you have like a pet dog or anything? I said, you know how they put their, just put their mouths under the bottom of a fence, whatever they can do to get their, get their mouths out. I said, just do that when you can't open. And she couldn't open the window and she just went completely berserk. She was fantastic. So are you saying the line was improvised? Line was in the original script, but she wasn't. She wasn't doing it at the window. Originally, she was. She did it inside, and then we decided, right, we'll stick it and get her to do it out the window. And it was interesting because that role followed Deborah around. I mean, she was playing Lady Macbeth, I believe. Oh no! And she came out on stage. No, was saying oh, happy Jan in Macbeth. <laughs> you know, so she. Um, she suffered. Michael Caton lived in Bondi for years and couldn't walk out his front door without people telling him he was dreaming. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah, it's in, insanity. So, As a commercial director, like you mentioned before, that you can't make that now, you can't make that now. I think part of what makes what you do so great, you've got this tiny window of an ad campaign, which could only be four to six weeks depending on the product. So yeah. you absolutely have to speak to the crystallised version of the mood and the nuance of the country at that moment or it'll miss yeah you're right and you know that ad didn't go on for very long it's actually an ad it's closing soon so it's actually the very end of the yellow page which of course yellow pages don't even really exist any longer where you had to get your ad into the yellow pages by a certain date so this thing actually didn't have any it wasn't even on air very long it was interesting because the two creatives, Sarah and Tony, who, are, uh, who were fabulous, and they did them. Do you remember the milk ads that were made in the sort of late 90s? Well, they did those ones where I think the, the woman goes goes down to the corner store and there's a guy robbing the place and whacks the guy over the head with the thing of milk. And So they did all these really classic great ads. It was that period of time where there were some really just really great ideas out there. And a lot of fun. I mean, and I think they also got away with it to a degree because she was a woman. Mm. It's a, you could never, never have even dreamt of making that ad if it was a guy. And here's another interesting thing. Another ad that I made with a horrific female character was Barbara from Bankworld. And that was exactly in that mode. She was so awful. She was great. And Geraldine, who did that, that was one of those ones where you just go, oh, my God, she's so funny because she's so horrible. And it's kind of really it was a really interesting and fun kind of um, period of time where everybody wasn't being so, you know, everybody, everybody was just doing stuff that was interesting and funny as opposed to necessarily being conservative. Can you talk a little bit about, like, when you are the director on an ad like this, You talk about you put the wedge in between the window. I mean, that ad probably isn't the iconic classic history-making commercial without that small little detail. Like how much of that on the day when you're actually shooting a commercial, making anything, do these ideas play a part in, in 
creating something bigger? It's a, it's a good question. I mean, I think as a director in the work that I've done, I always try and come up with input as much as I can, which has to do with the character or has to do with the performance or has to do with just even stuff about how you shoot it. And so, for instance, yeah, the things that weren't that, that I put in there that weren't in the script was, you know, even her performance style was that she had to, you had to feel her taking deep breaths and she, she had exercises to calm her in order to make the end funnier. So she has to be in, a, in her happy place to start with so you know that she goes completely off the rails at the end. And so I said that should be her character, that also in her character as well as that she has crystals, or she has a certain routine that seems to make her life functioning. You know, she can actually keep her job or her position without blowing her stack because she you know, has all these lifestyle tips and stuff. So that was stuff I put in. Again, with Rhonda, the idea is that Rhonda's had to deal with, with this ticking bomb for, for obviously for quite a while. So she really was, um, for want of a better word, her boss's kind of punching bag, you know. And so from that point of view, when she hears, when she hears a tone in her voice, Jan, mm. Jan, and she just knows that the bomb's ticking. And so she just turns, she's out, she's gone, she's out of there. So she goes, one thing I had, I said, you're so petrified. When you come down the stairs, stare at one place on the wall so that your eyes and your head doesn't move. And as she goes down the, down the, um, down the stairs, you just see her eyes, she, her head's almost still, and it's very, very funny because you can see her, uh, she's going to the gallows. And then the last shot of her <laughs> down the street, click, clop, click, clop, click, clop, click. Uh, it's just, uh, I think it's, it's what's funny about it. And not a million miles away from the kind of commitment to humour that you used to find, say, in something like Seinfeld where the characters were committed to the choices they were making as characters. So when George Costanza goes off his nut, he's totally into it, you know what I mean, and it's totally convinced. So she's totally convinced. She's lost her job, she's running, and she's never coming back. So, yeah, and I think that's why that works so well, because even her boss has to still yell after her to make sure she gets a strong impression that she, she obviously has really mucked this one up. And that's that's one of the key things in the whole performance. Jimmy's that we were watching it before we started recording. Jimmy's a massive fan of the the foley artist of the actual sound effect. Is there a story behind finding the right clippity clop sounds? Sounds really important because I trained as I was when I was a young director. I also was taught by a great editor in New Zealand how to cut. So I learned that for many years. Um, but at the same time, I also learned about sound how much sound can contribute to, to humour and narratives and ideas and so on. Yeah, the folly for that, because you've got to hear reverb as the clippity-clop mm. happens. They actually recorded that outside because normally you just do it in a booth, but we actually recorded outside an alleyway so you get all this bouncing going <laughs> So it sort of sounds like a demented pony um, <laughs> running up the thing. And Rhonda, you know, God bless her, couldn't really run in those shoes or anyway. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, she's... Uh, she, uh, she, her, her desperation is very funny to watch. It's such a character study in 30 seconds. It's extraordinary. But also 
We've all been there, you know. Uh, we've all worked for assholes. We've all fucked up at work. And we've all had that moment where we've realised we've fucked up at work. <laughs> and, and we've all wanted, we've all wanted to just fucking leg it. Well, I, yeah, but the truth is people do leg it. I've got a little quick story for you. An editor who will remain nameless <laughs> in New Zealand, because it sometimes happens to editors for some reason. Maybe they just sit in rooms a lot. But this this guy had um, had the ability to kind of, and wasn't far away in terms of this sort of anger issue of somebody like Jan's boss. But he was having some trouble with um, with an edit one time, and the agency were in there, and he said, oh, "I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go down the corner. I'm just gonna grab some fags." And he went to South America. He just left, went out the fucking door, went to Auckland Airport, got on a fucking plane, and just left for two years to South America. So that's that's legging it. And and this guy was renowned for blowing his stack. It was like wow. So yeah, I think we all have all have had that situation. There's an honesty to to what's funny about Jan is it's like all right, I'm out of here. Do you know what I mean? That's why it's funny. It's like this. Mm. She has. She doesn't for a split second think there's a chance that she can get away with this at all. It's all over. Part of your job is to communicate to a market using language and vision and audio and trying to communicate with a full spectrum of our senses we can appreciate through a screen in a way that will viscerally make us go, "Fuck! I need to buy that thing, whatever it is: lamb, beer, a yellow pages ad." How do you think? In your career, you obviously have to really pay attention to what the country's looking at and listening to. How have we changed since Not Happy Jan to what you're working on, like the, the, the most recent lamb ads, incredible multicultural stuff? How have we changed in, as a country, do you think? Back then, there were a lot of ads about white people and there were a lot of white people in those ads. And it's interesting now, for instance, that... Uh, in the last three years or four years or so, so the diversity is the first thing that is, is even spoken about. And so, therefore, you know, when you talk about the casting and so on like that, that's immediately looked at as going, well, we have to address this issue about, um, I mean, I remember I think the beginning of one of the lamb ads was too many perky white males, and that was the diversity ad that we did. And it was exactly that. You do look back and... Don't forget, you know, there were Meadow League commercials like you to be congratulated, and they're horrific. Yeah, and it is, it is um, the, uh, the great white hope for that stuff. And it's, you just look back at it now and you go, oh, my God. And, you know, like what I was saying, you know, you could never do that now. It is interesting. Some things that you even just would look at on television two years ago, you go, you would never, you would never do that now. And it is really interesting how things are accelerating by the powers of 10 when it comes to just the way, for instance, women are seen in advertising, any exploitation, you know, that used to be, you know, that, that used to be so common. Just you can't do it any longer. Nobody would tolerate it. The same thing with um, you know objectifying young men. Or I did one of the first ever commercials with an openly gay man in it, and this would have been maybe ten years ago. Mm, what was that? It was Fernando's, and it was a mum and dad and their son, and she didn't she couldn't work out that he was gay, basically, and the dad was trying to explain to the mum 
what was going on. And it was, a, it's, you know, it's a charming and, and really it's a fun ad, but it was interesting. It was the first time I'd actually ever seen that on Australian television. Do you think advertising and the briefs that come across your desk and the way that you bring them to the screen, do you think that it has a way in leading the charge in some of these social issues? Because it is so accessible. It's not a politician saying we have to be okay with these people. It's it's just, no, it's just some people selling a vacuum cleaner. They happen to just not be wired. Yeah, no, 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 you're, you're right. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I think people used to keep away from or taboos or stuff like that that people now are deliberately trying to include in advertising. I've noticed some banks lately are really trying to kind of go, they're trying to get rid of the sugar coating with stuff that seems far more confrontational. I mean, the biggest problem, I think, with anything like that is with advertising you're selling, there's always that line between you're being socially incredibly responsible, but at the same time you're also trying to make money, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a toughie. It's not a painting. It's not a song. It's selling stuff. I think that's why I wanted to talk to you because when you make a painting or you make a song or you, you make art, your purpose is to sort of move people and make them laugh and enter into some sort of cultural conversation. But occasionally you, you, you do that when you're making ends and, and you've done that a few times. And when you do that, does it feel like, I don't know, there is something greater to what you're doing than just trying to help people sell shit? Yeah, and I think for a, a long time in the work that I've done, I think you always think about what am I doing? And there are some things I, will, I won't do, you know, some things I won't advertise. But you know, they're not many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like if you go, oh, God, you just look at alcohol advertising, say, for instance, and you go, look, I've probably sold more alcohol to more Australians than anybody, you know, and therefore I probably will never enter the, the gates of heaven based on, you know, having probably ruined thousands of, yeah, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. Also probably made a lot of people very happy and so on like that. The interesting thing, I think, with any of that is... Um, I think, I think, like, for instance, the lamb ads were intentionally wanting to make, because they always have, they wanted to be controversial. They wanted to deal with issues that are current and current to Australia. And so, therefore, they are nat- naturally, they caught that stuff and that's what they're into. But I think also, uh, at the same time, there are some people who advertise or companies that I actually think have the heart in the right place. I do, actually. Some of them they don't, but some of them I think actually are interested in trying to use their whatever they're doing to try and see if they can make change for the better to a degree without being, you know, worthy. The audience that are watching television commercials now, even they're not even on television, let's call them computer commercials or whatever we would call them, are so much more literate than they ever were before because they watch ads all the time and they watch little snippets and little stories and so on. So what you've got, you know, there's a lot more educated film school students out there. The everyday person gets the stuff. They see it. They're saturated by it. And I think they can pick up stuff that's just bullshit and stuff that actually has a real heart to it. I think people can kind of go, oh, yuck, you know, and mm. other people can go, oh, no, good on it, you know, and I think they can discern that. I think they're smart enough, the, the audience now are. I mean, here, here's an example. of There was one of the greatest 
most awful, horrible commercials of all time was a Pepsi ad that was made. You guys probably saw this about they were they were sort of walking in the streets and oh, with Kendall Jenner. Yeah, and that's like to me that's like going to the IGA and going down every aisle of fucking up. Do you know what I mean? We'll get four mm. fuck ups from there, two off that shelf, three of that. There are so many aspects to how bad that fucking thing is across the board. You know, it starts off with a an Asian gentleman who's playing a cello. Why? Oh, because Asian people, obviously, like Yoma, they play cellos, right? And then Kendall Jenner, for instance, you know, she she's uh, she's doing some photo shoot beside the <laughs> this big march, and she's all dressed up like she looks like she's selling aluminum siding or something like that. She wipes off her lisp- lipstick, which is a big deal, then throws off her wig to her, believe it or not. African-American assistant, throws it to her, right? Then they go to the end of this thing and there's what looks like the least the least scariest police security force you've ever seen. They all look like strippers, basically, right, all standing there and she opens up a Pepsi, but the photograph has to be taken by a Middle Eastern woman. <laughs> and it's just absolutely appalling. And the fact is that this... This parade is sort of like Black Lives Matter. It is mm. the most offensive, totally appalling thing. And that's that's a classic case of people looking at it and going, oh, my God, it's a load of bullshit. Having, like, worked in the industry, you would know how many layers of creative client, writers, copywriters, directors that would have had to have gone through without anyone going, uh, are we uh, are we yeah. sure about this bullshit? Pat you on the shoulder. Is it just me? It's kind of the thing, right? <laughs> so here you go. That was actually done through Pepsi. So it was internal creative. So Pepsi itself did the creative on it. It wasn't an mm. agency. Don't believe so. I don't think so. But I reckon everybody there was high-fiving when mm. they were thinking, can you see we are going, we are making something that matters. <laughs> This Pepsi ad is going to, and I, I reckon the director was watching and just got him, and there would have been round of applause when he screamed yeah. us, and they would have gone, my God, how can we slam dunk something better than this? Because they all would have thought that. And then, you know, it's that old, what? <laughs> you, what? Don't do that? No, don't do that. Why? You know what I mean? Like completely. And I could imagine the sackings would have just been like, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. Sweep them out. And I think they would have been, but why? That was so beautiful. That was so great. Paul, it's an incredible pleasure to spend so much time with you that it's so rare we get a chance to hear this this aspect of what is a part, a ubiquitous part of every human being in the Western world's day is advertising messaging and to hear your take on it and hear where you've come from and hear the way that you've distilled some of these ideas and created pop cultural moments that are shouted by Jimmy's dad to his granddaughter <laughs> so 15 years later. is brilliant. <laughs> I mentioned this before to Osh. The only other thing that um, I think is on par with that but probably didn't have the same cut through across the spectrum but definitely did in my life, and, and I still say it to my wife if she's up too late, is um, go to bed, Jessica! The RTA ad from about 1989 where a guy um, 
I think he runs over a small kid and then comes home and then yells at his child. Yeah, in my house, go to bed, Jessica, still lives on strong. I've never seen runs over. You've never seen go to bed, Jessica? You know, when I said you couldn't make that now? After the crash, police arrived. Did they submit you to a roadside breath test at the scene of the crash? Yeah, they said I was over. Over? Well, over the limit. You were the driver of a motor vehicle under the influence of alcohol, and as you drove along and impacted with that young child on the pedestrian crossing, you killed her. This particular offence carries 10 years jail as a maximum term. Lost your licence, haven't you? What's going to happen about your job? Did you ever stop and think about that when you were drinking? I ran over a little girl. Go to bed, Jessica. Runs over a small kid. <laughs> Sorry. That's really, really tragic and horrible. <laughs> he obviously killed a kid or whatever. He kills a kid, comes home. The influence on the family as well. This guy's mm. lots of fun, isn't he? <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate your time, mate. How much fun was this? <laughs> You're the best ever, man. Please keep in touch and good luck with this. Like he put a door wedge in a window. A door wedge would have just been lying around. He picked it up and mm. put it in there. It would have taken him six six to eight seconds to do, all right? But you can clearly see that that is somebody who is operating at incredibly high oscillating speed. He is fucking clever on a jillion levels, all right? There's clearly a lot going on for him. Very well read. And he's just having to have these beautiful distilled moments of someone who can do such a small thing that makes such a big difference. They have to be drawing from this well that is just- colossal you know you don't mm. accidentally do that sort of thing to make that door wedge so she can't get get through and she's fighting against it it makes the ad i love that we just had that chat because it's like you couldn't make that now was used to be 10 years ago then it was five years ago then it now it was two years ago and now it's like a week ago oh man i'm pretty progressive and left-wing but man i can't even keep up <laughs> like with what's okay anymore you know so what hope have any of us got i i when i was talking to my kids about the ad and i showed them the ad i not only had to explain to them what the commercial was about but i had to explain to them what yellow pages were like oh my god before the internet i pitched it to them i was like if you had to find out how to get a painter or a plumber or a mechanic before the internet, what would you have done? And just blank, nothing. There is no reference point. And I explained to them, there were these massive books, they're probably about a kilo and a half and about, oh, I don't know, about 10 centimetres thick, 15 centimetres thick. There were two of them. One went eight. There were two of them, 80K, L to Z. <laughs> Everyone had them. And you, and you put them with your white pages as well which was a listing of everyone. In the city. And their phone number. Yeah. Mm. And then there was a book of similar size in your car to help you get around. Then you had to get rid of these books. Yeah. Then you had to get rid of like six kilos of paper each year. Yeah. I remember vaguely like they had skip bins for them and like service stations. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, eventually people went, maybe we shouldn't just throw these tons and tons and tons of paper away. Might, but spare a thought for, spare a thought for the hardworking plumbers and electricians that spent all that money on the extra A's for their side riding when the, you know, AA aardvark plumbing. Triple A removals. Yeah, they were all like AAA so they could be at the top listing when you go to removalists. Like where are those people now? Just f- down an SEO hole. 
<laughs> no, they're down a sales funnel. <laughs> Do you know what that is? I oh, can't keep up with anything. They're the worst. Anyway, things. how are we promoting this show? We, if we're not putting in the yellow pages. No, I've also got a sales funnel, Jimmy, that's selling a free PDF on how to make a great podcast. But if you sign up for the sales funnel, I'll, I'll normally it's two thousand dollars for our podcast course. But if you sign up within the next eight minutes and there's a countdown clock. I'll give it to you for $1,199 US. Limited time only. Limited time only. Oh, there's now, there's only one. Someone in Dapto just bought one. The little flasher just came up on the screen. You better, you better buy it now if you want to get a how to podcast course with Osher and Jimmy. See ya. Brilliant to have Paul Middleditch on the show. Thanks for being here. If you have an Idol Australian that you would like us to chat about, if you are an Idol Australian, idolaustralians at gmail.com, IDLE Australians at gmail.com. If you've got some weird niche, Retro, nostalgic, Australian bullshit. We want to hear from you because uh, we're ready to go deep. We are. Every time we have one of these conversations, we it does lead back to how we got to now. I, I think we're not just mining it for the sake of it, of making us have that f- that comfortable nostalgia feeling. Oh, do you remember when things weren't like this? Remember when things were simple? And I think we're able to use each of these conversations to kind of demonstrate, well, this is kind of also how we got to now, which I think is important. That was the... Serious bit I thought we were only going to talk to each other about. Oh, sorry. (laughs) So so I thought we were having the after show meeting already. Sorry. (laughs) Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.